All right, welcome to the show. Um, this is our second episode of the podcast. This will be the first episode of our perspective series. Um, I have my friend Andrea Scott on, and uh, I'm excited to hear her story. She's got a lot to talk about, and uh, I'll just kick it over to you, Andrea. Tell me about what you're doing. Hey, Drew. Thanks for having me. Mm-hmm. Um, so I went back to school and didn't really know what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. So um, I've always enjoyed helping people. I mean, to me, there's no greater feeling than after you've helped someone. It's just like your heart wants to explode. And mm-hmm. so um, someone had told me about social work and how it was a very versatile degree. You could do a lot with it. And so that's what I pursued. And I did my undergrad in social work. And Ended up in an internship that wasn't very awesome and was very disappointing. Um, And then during that time, got pregnant with my second child, and so I took some time off. Mm -hmm. And then, um, so I didn't work anywhere. Um, I kind of just focused on my home life and then decided to go back and get my master's. And so in doing that was a much better process. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I didn't specialize in anything because, again, it was like I don't really know what I want to do. So I'm just going to go for, you know, general social work and So I ended up at a place called Family Health Centers because they work with formerly homeless individuals um, through a housing program. And so they see a lot of substance abuse, mental health, veterans, domestic violence. Mm -hmm. So they had um, they had a lot of things that I could be exposed to. Okay. so um, I ended up taking that internship. And at first was kind of overwhelmed by it because I had five clients and then there were other things that I had to do. Like I had to help with the newsletter, which I was like, oh, you know, they just make me do this because nobody else wants to. (laughs) What is the newsletter for? So the newsletter goes out to the participants and it lets them know about different things that are going on in the community in addition to like groups that are being offered um, through the agency. And then they also try and include some kind of like a clinical article, like something that would be relevant for them that... Um, would be helpful. So, um, like they talk about, like what makes a good tenant and helping them understand um, how to be successful in keeping their apartment and those kinds of things. Okay. Um, and even stuff as far as like substance abuse or maybe depression, that kind of stuff. Okay. So, um, so at first I didn't, you know, really enjoy my internship and it was kind of stressful. Um, but then through that process, um, I had to do a school project, and so I focused on group work because I've always been interested and more of the community and more at large kind of social work than Mm -hmm. individual like case management work. Mm -hmm. And so um, (coughs) I ended up um, finishing my internship and stayed on as an intern (laughs) (laughs) Um, just because I actually really ended up enjoying it. And so for my project, um, I studied groups and um, tried to get more group participation. And okay. so in doing that, one of my coworkers had mentioned about doing like a women's group for just the women. And so I thought that was a great idea and I mm-hmm. had proposed that. And so we did it as like a one-time thing. We offered it for one month, like every Wednesday. And it really took off and the ladies um, really seemed to enjoy it and were able to talk openly with one another and um during those conversations I found out more about what their life was like before they entered our program and when they were living on the streets Mm -hmm. and so a lot of them talked about how they just didn't have the resources that men do so in Louisville we have St. John's Center which is a day center for homeless men and Mm. so they can go there and take a shower they can find a case manager they also have like legal aid will come there um the VA will come there and do outreach 
So it's a great resource for them and it's a safe space because a lot of times whenever you're in shelter, they keep you overnight, but then at like seven in the morning, you have to leave yeah. and then you can't check back in until later on that evening. Where, where is St. John's in Louisville? So St. John is located on Muhammad, um, East Muhammad. At like the 700 block. Okay, so I I deliver pizzas there. Oh, okay, yeah, All yeah, of a sudden yeah. I was like, I feel like I know what she's talking about. Uh-huh. But um, there is also Wayside Christian. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I literally am driving up and down that street all the time. Mm-hmm. And when it hits like 11 or 12 o'clock at night, mm-hmm. there will be like a line of homeless men underneath mm-hmm. the bridge with sleeping bags just lining yep. the... And I'm sitting there, I'm like... I wish I had some extra pizza. Right. At least, you mm-hmm. know, but yeah. it's, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I will say that the city is very awesome and that I've met a lot of awesome people. And so um, one of the individuals we met is, her name is Tiny, and she works at St. John. But she also has formed her own nonprofit, and we help and do some outreach with them when we can. Um, okay. but it's called the Forgotten Louisville. And so their concept is that for those who won't come in for services, they take services to them. And yeah. so they literally will... They start at the yellow lot and they'll hand out food and supplies and then they'll actually go to like the various camps and viaducts where they know people are sleeping. They'll mm-hmm. check in on people. So like right now with all the rain, people are getting flooded out of their tents. Yeah. It's been very cold. You they can't even drive down River Road right now. Right. So, and you know, people, that's a, that's a very common place for, you know, homeless individuals to camp out is mm-hmm. along the river there. So right now they're facing flooding and you know losing possessions and so we are fortunate that in Louisville there are a lot of resources Mm -hmm. but it just so happened that I found that there was this gap in services for women so the women didn't have that one place to be during the day Um, a lot of people ask about like well what about the Center for Women and Families so that's a great program Um, but that is also a specific program for people who have experienced violence Um, so whether it's intimate partner violence or domestic violence but a lot of times they also run full and then they only can take people who are in like very lethal situations yeah. and are very vulnerable and like actively fleeing a domestic situation. Right, right, right. So um, I found out just recently that even though we have two big shelters, the Salvation Army and Wayside Christian Mission, who have um, room for families. Mm-hmm. VOA is another one. Um, but they're also usually very full because they're a really good shelter. <laughs> we yeah. call them the Taj Mahal of shelters. But wow. um, So they're, um, it's a great <clears throat> organization. But um, so we found out that, you know, there's the single point of entry that you call. It's a number and they basically can tell you what beds are available at what shelter Um, so that some shelters weren't running full all the time and some were having beds open. So this way it was, you know, it was a more thorough way of doing it. But on any given night, there are usually at least 40 families that are on that wait list and have nowhere to go. So if it's white flag, if it's under 32 degrees or if it's above like 100 degrees, Mm -hmm. Then shelters can run over capacity, and they're not supposed to turn anyone away. Right. So, but obviously on days like today, when it's warmer, Mm -hmm. I mean, that's not an option. So they're only option. But it's like it's still raining. And cold. And like cold (laughs) enough to to be sick. Right, exactly. So, so yeah, so we found that there was this gap in services. So um, we started, I talked to my supervisor, and I was like, you know, I'm really interested in like, kind of a passion project to start a day center for women he was Mm -hmm. like then you should talk to maria the lady who runs saint john she's really nice and Mm -hmm. so i was like okay so i just i made a phone call and asked if she would meet with me and then in the meantime i talked to my friend amy who um 
had recently been laid off from her job and mm. was just really wanting to get back into some more fulfilling work. Yeah. And so I asked her if she would be interested in, you know, coming along with me and what I was going to do. And so she did. And we met with Maria and she was very excited to hear that we wanted to open this day center because yeah. they had often been asked, you know, well, why, why don't you have something for the women? And, you know, where are the women supposed to go? Right. So, um, we talked to Maria, and she was very encouraging and had encouraged us to go and talk to the coalition and meet with Mary Frances and mm -hmm. talk to her some more. And so we just kind of continued down that path. So every time we would go and talk to someone, they were like, yes, that's great. There is a need in the community, and you should do this, and mm -hmm. you know, we're excited you want to, and here are some more people that you should talk to. So it was like the doors just kind of kept opening. Yeah. And so before we knew it, we um, had put in an application to meet with legal aid so that they could help us in filing our 501c3 paperwork so that we okay. could become tax-exempt. Um, so we applied for services, and we were accepted, and we ended up with a wonderful attorney, um, Eileen, and she met with us, and it ended up being a longer process than we thought. Because <laughs> yeah. it's a very big document. It's a lot of pieces. And so, like, in the meantime, we had to... Um, so, like, we came up with our name, which was um, Uniting Partners for Women and Children. But we wanted to go by the acronym of UP for Women and Children. Because we like okay. the sense of upward mobility and you yeah. know, helping out people. And, and so, um, and everything kind of ends up with a acronym in the social service world. Yeah, anyways. exactly. So we liked up. Um, so we registered our name with the Kentucky Secretary of State, and then we had to come up with our articles of incorporation, which was basically how we wanted our organization um, to be governed and our bylaws. And then we had to come up with a board of directors. And so um, that was an interesting piece. Um, and is that a very political thing to get going? Like, is there... Is, I don't know, like, I, there's obviously, like, a lot of steps and everything, mm -hmm. but is there ever, like, resistance from certain people about uh, getting those things going? Mm -hmm. Like, well, we've already got this or right. something. Like, right. Well, I will say there were a few people that we encountered and just didn't understand the need. So there mm -hmm. were some organizations who were like, oh, what about, like, for example, Louisville Rescue Mission? Yeah. They are open during the day yeah. from 7 to 3, and you can come in and do your laundry. Um, and you can take a shower. You can even store some of your belongings there. Um, yeah. But the issue for women is is that they do offer a women-only time slot. But I believe it's once a week for two hours. So my understanding with the women I worked with is, and there is a large percentage, and I wish I had that number with me, but like almost 90% of women have experienced some trauma at some point in their life that are homeless. And so um, these women have a lot of trauma and they don't necessarily always feel safe, especially if they're outnumbered by men. And yeah. so even though they look to men for protection on the streets, they're often manipulated and, yeah. you know, there's a lot of power that comes with that. And so they like need men to protect them from other men. Yes. Like and who do you trust? But sometimes they need protected from the men that are supposed to be protecting them. Exactly. So, yes, it's, wow. a, it's a very tricky situation. So, um, with us, we just, I mean, we realized that there needed to be a space that was specifically designated just for women. Yeah. So, I mean, so for some people it was getting them to understand. And that was more so, I would say, with like more just 
people that we would talk to about what we were doing, any mm-hmm. kind of organization that we met with. Um, and at some point, like we started to meet with departments in Metro, like the Office of Community Resilience, or I'm sorry, Community Service and Resiliency. Mm-hmm. So we met with them. And then like we met with um, a few of the council members. And so they were... We didn't meet any resistance from them. And okay. what was surprising for us, and my friend Amy mentioned that she didn't know if it was because we were coming from a nonprofit part instead of a business piece, because she had always experienced the business world where it was like there's a lot more competition. Yeah. Where in the nonprofit world, there seemed to be more of like an open arm and a very encouraging. Yeah. Um, in fact, we ended up with a tagline of empowered women, empowering women. And that's really how we felt in going through this process was that yeah. we've been very empowered by the people we've spoken to and that mm. our hope is to empower these women. So um, we didn't meet a lot of resistance. There had there were some kind of bumps in the road along mm-hmm. the way, um, but actually kind of minor considering all the steps that have gone into it. So um, like even with when it came to putting a board of directors together, you know, sometimes that's hard to get people to join and want to do. Yeah. But um, one of the gentlemen that I used to work for at Family Health Centers was one of the first people to step up and say, you know, if you need help with your board of directors, I'd be happy to help. And we knew that we wanted people that were like-minded and would really support what we wanted to do. So we mm-hmm. had asked Tiny from the Forgotten Louisville if she would join our board. So we were like, yay, now we've got four people on our board. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, and so as we've gone through the process, we've met more people. And like I've talked to a professor, and now she's on our board. Um, we just recently had an attorney join. And so we're up to seven members, but we're still in the process of trying to expand, especially with like what people can offer. We have a lot of social services that are covered, mm-hmm. but I mean, like, you know, we have someone that's with finance, but someone with like marketing experience, legal experience, like mm-hmm. there are a lot of different pieces and it's great to have that knowledge on your board. Yeah. Um, so we've been working through that piece, but um, so we submitted our 501c3 paperwork in October and we received our status in January. So that was really exciting. Nice. Um, so when we finally received that status, we were able to start applying for grants. So that was fun for me because I did learn that in school and I had practiced that in school, but this was like the first time I was actually like really applying for a grant. Yeah. <laughs> so, this is like, it's big time now. Yes. So, um, we said it got next level when we got our status for us. <laughs> like percentage of the way as far as um, like getting this whole thing going, mm-hmm. what what percentage are you as far as like now we're operating? Mm-hmm. So we're probably at about 75% of the way there. Okay. So um, it was a lot of effort and back work because um, we probably spent almost, it's been almost a year that we started on this project. Been a year in the making. Just okay. by like talking to different agencies and then just the different steps that we've had to go through. Um, and so one of the biggest things for us was trying to find someone that would partner with us and provide a space for us so yeah. that we could offer services. So we thought if we're trying to use the space Monday through Friday, Let's start with the churches because maybe the churches aren't using their space during the day, during the week, and mm-hmm. that we could, you know, that would be helpful. So we contacted several churches, and because we wanted to be able to offer simple things like for us, simple, a yeah. shower and laundry, um, that became a little tricky when talking to churches because not right. all churches offer that. A lot of churches are older, they don't have the plumbing to handle yeah. even putting that in. Do you talk to Southeast? No, we did not, because they're, they're oh. kind of further out on the east end, right? They, yeah, okay. but they actually, they have a southwest campus. Okay. So, um, I mean, they have several campuses. They have an Indiana campus. 
Southwest, I think, would be the closest towards maybe like the Shively area. Okay. Mm-hmm. But it's still, in my mind, probably mm-hmm. not close enough. Right. Um, my friend Jason and I are actually, well, Jason Reynolds is working on getting a church built up in the West End. Mm-hmm. But what I was saying about that is that <laughs> Southeast usually, like, whenever they build a church, mm-hmm. they make sure it has everything. Oh, that's and great. It's, yeah. But... Mm-hmm. Um, you should get in touch with Southeast, um, too. We definitely will. That's kind of our next piece is connecting with more churches because we know that churches, you know, they love to help the vulnerable populations. And so whether that means providing, like, a bag lunch for the ladies as they're leaving during the day or coming in and offering some kind of a class because that's another thing that we want to mm-hmm. be able to keep the ladies, their minds busy, give them something to do, um, but, you know, also build some skills as well. Yeah. So, um, but, yeah, so we finally found a church. Um, that was also kind of like downtown because that's where everything else is. And most of the women don't have transportation, so Mm -hmm. they're walking. So we figured downtown would be a great place for success. So we found a church, um, Christ Church Cathedral. They are located on South 2nd Street, and they are actually right across from the new Omni Hotel. (laughs) Oh, wow. So Okay, cool. So they actually had helped St. John get started in that same building. So they kind of have like an office space that is next door to the church. And so we meet with them next month to kind of finalize our contract with them because one of the great things about this church is that they have space that we can use to provide outreach and case management, Mm -hmm. but they also already had a shower and a washer and dryer in that space. So it was like, yay. So then one of the bumps that we hit was when it came time to have the fire marshal come and assess and say, hey, you know, how much space... How many people can we serve in this space? They were like, oh, well, you're going to need a different permit for what you're trying to do. And so it's like, no. And I tried calling people. And so I just ended up going down to the office and I talked to the guy and explained what we were trying to do. And he was like, oh, okay, well, then let's let's work with the floor plans from the church. So I ran and I got those and I came back. And ironically enough, um, the space in the basement on the floor plans is listed as outreach. And so I was like, how perfect, because that's exactly what we'll be doing in that yeah, space. Yeah, exactly. So um, so then he gave the okay, and we were able to proceed. But for a minute, it got really hairy. Like, well, how long is it going to take? Because you have to go through Metro Council and draw plans. And that's it was like crazy oh. how much paperwork has to go into it. Yes. Like, it, it, I'm not even going to act like I'm educated on some of that I stuff. But either. the 501c3 <laughs> PO paper. <laughs> yeah. It sounded like you were saying something from Star Wars, and I'm yeah. like, what in the world? Mm-hmm. Like, yes. People just want to help people, and yes. we got to... Yes, it is a big process, and of course, there yeah. is a lot of red tape that comes with that, and so, I mean, for us, it was really just utilizing the resources and the people that were out there and wanting to help us, which was great, mm-hmm. um, and yes, I have my master's in social work, but I mean, it's not like they teach you how to start and open a nonprofit. So, oh, yeah. I mean, there is the Center for Nonprofit Excellence that is in Louisville and that is a resource for nonprofits and they do have like kind of a startup and kind of list like a timeline and how all that should work. Yeah. But I mean, it is until you're actually like in it and you just learn it and you do it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's been a very empowering experience. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, once we're able to, um, Finalize our contract. Um, another important piece for us is figuring out liability insurance mm-hmm. and how much that's going to cost for us. And then um, we should be hearing back. We've applied for a few grants on our own. We've been fortunate that um, Family Health Centers and the Coalition for the Homeless mm-hmm. have applied for grants that um, they will contract us to do the work. So essentially, they would be applying for the money, 
and they will report um, on that grant, but mm -hmm. we would actually receive the money so that we can provide the services. Okay, so cool. we've been fortunate that we've had two other organizations kind of apply on our behalf. Yeah. So um, we're hoping that in summer we'll be able to actually have open doors mm -hmm. and you know um, start servicing and helping some women. Okay. In the meantime, um, we have had just through the different outreach people that we talk to um, that have kind of referred and that we've been able to help in in some regards um so like right now i have a few different ladies that i'm working with and i kind of you know talk to them and see what resources they need and you know what agencies mm -hmm. can help them and at what capacity can we help them and that kind of yeah. thing so okay cool well that's um i'm also wondering with you know you said you got seven people on your board right now mm -hmm. um you're 75 percent of the way there when you start operating you want to operate in the summer mm -hmm. um as far as employment or or people working with the project do you already have a roster of people that are going to be uh providing the services because yeah you said you're already like getting the grants and stuff so that you guys can mm -hmm. essentially regulate where that money goes and the mm -hmm. resources go but do you have the people power right so right now it's amy and myself oh, um wow. so we do have a list of like maybe 40 volunteers okay. and i will say that for the most part we learned from saint john that mm -hmm. they have about 10 employed staff but mm -hmm. they run off of 180 volunteers for the year and Jeez. they're open seven days a week and they're open from seven to three yeah so um they have their volunteers work in two hour slots mm -hmm. they feel that that's really helpful because it keeps them fresh and no one's getting bogged down by right right you know. so um so we plan to model that and do kind of like a two hour volunteer window um we have started to build some of our volunteer base but that's something that we need to expand more mm -hmm. um there also is a program called ignite louisville that they do um, okay. and so we submitted a proposal for that and so um, the plan would be that they have different experienced individuals from different sectors and they come together as a team and they work with an, a nonprofit or an organization to help yeah. them in whatever capacity and so we had requested someone that could help us establish like a low budget fundraiser that we could generate year after year yeah. and that they could help us in obtaining and training and managing volunteers because we know that's going to be a huge piece cool. so we're starting out five days a week but we're only starting out for, from nine to one okay. so it'll be a short window but monday through friday from nine to one um between amy and myself mm -hmm. and then a list of volunteers um will be able to offer services cool. um i'll potentially be triaging people and providing as much case management as I can. Mm -hmm. But our plan is to try and bring on a case manager mm -hmm. and potentially a peer support specialist. Okay. If you're familiar with them, um, I worked with peer supports um, through family health centers and that is a really awesome program. So they kind of help provide um, some case management in some capacity where they'll, you yeah. know, help them with resources and stuff. But as a peer, they have also experienced homelessness. And so they oh, kind of wow. serve, you know, they have either maybe some mental health or some substance abuse, but at some point they've experienced homelessness. And so they're able to serve as a peer and a mentor to the women that we would be working with. That's always something like fascinating to hear about is when somebody experienced homelessness and now has gone from that to mm -hmm. a not only contributing, but like benefiting member of society mm -hmm that's able to pass it on. Mm -hmm. I, I always think to myself, like, and this is sadly my ignorant perspective, but whenever I see somebody, like if I'm driving down like Jefferson Street or mm -hmm. something, there's always somebody that is on that corner. Always. Mm -hmm. And it's like, I'm sitting there, I'm like, that's 
that person's life. Like I mm-hmm. want to give them some change out of my mm-hmm. pocket so right. I know that they can eat and stuff. But mm-hmm. I'm always like, man, what is that guy, you know, going to mm-hmm. do? What is that girl mm-hmm. going to do? And now like to know that there is like a rehabilitation process mm-hmm. almost. Mm-hmm. It, to know that like that's possible is like all the more encouraging mm-hmm. because it's uh, I don't know it's people I think and what I definitely want to you know give to the audience with this podcast is that the fact that we are so accepting in our country of homelessness mm-hmm. is astounding because mm-hmm. it's like if you ever just say that out loud you're like homelessness is a thing mm-hmm. people. In mm-hmm. 2018, don't have a home. Mm-hmm. Saying that out loud, kind of just like if there was like, I don't know. I always kind of picture like civilizations outside of Earth or something. Like mm-hmm. maybe what if like aliens right. were looking at us and they come down here and they're like, wait a second, mm-hmm. what are all these people doing? Right. And they're like, oh, they don't have homes. They're right. homeless. And they're right. like, what are you talking about? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is hard to believe that this problem still exists. And unfortunately, until we start paying a living wage mm-hmm. and until we start having affordable housing, homelessness is going to exist. I mean, just people can't afford to live. I mean, it was always interesting to me. I grew up in a house that there was very much this deserving versus undeserving population mm-hmm. when it came to benefits. And yeah. so it just, it astounds me because I've worked with this population and it's like, if you receive disability, that's $750 a month. That's it. Tell me where you can live to pay rent and have money for groceries and utilities on $750 a month in Louisville. My rent alone for my apartment is $750 straight up. See? So it's like... Yeah. I And there's a giant hole in my ceiling. Right. <laughs> and there's bugs. Mm-hmm. And I live in a basement. Right. And it's $750. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I and probably not downtown. No, no, no. It's uh, it's in Clifton, mm-hmm. so it's by the river, right? right? But mm-hmm. it's um, I mean, it's just it, it it's insane. But it I th- I saw a statistic a while back, and I don't know if it has changed or not. But mm-hmm. somebody told me, and I'll have to look this up later, so don't quote me on it. But somebody said for every homeless person in America, mm-hmm. there are six abandoned houses. I believe it. And I'm just. <laughs> Right. That that is that's staggering. Totally. It, to me, it seems like there should be the resources there, but yeah. we're not coordinating them properly. So I will yeah. say that we ended up. Um, there is so not too long ago there was a homeless camp that was cleared, and yeah. that made the news, and that made the mayor look bad. Mm-hmm. So in response to that, they've created a task force that mm-hmm. focuses on the homeless encampments, and so myself and Amy are on that. Nice. task force which is okay, great cool. so what's cool from that is that they have commit they have three subcommittees and one of them is specifically outreach and those are all those wonderful organizations who are mm-hmm. boots on the ground and go out on their own time mm-hmm. to to help homeless individuals and so yeah. they have, are identifying them by name and where they're sleeping and trying to link them with resources so that they're no longer sleeping out on the streets yeah there's a second subcommittee so there was an ordinance that was recently passed after a lot of discussion Um, but it's a 21 day ordinance. And so that gives them protection so that they can't just decide they're going to come in and clear up a camp. So Mm -hmm. the reason, the said reason for cleaning these camps is because right now we have a hepatitis A outbreak. And so that is spread 
through fecal. Yeah. And so, unfortunately, a lot of the camps are not very clean, not very sanitary. So it's just so, literally just a just a lack of people sanitizing. And things. and and for them not having the resources to yeah to have a place to use the restroom or somewhere to dispose of their trash. So the reason was to come in and clean these camps because of this hepatitis A outbreak. Yeah. Well, unfortunately, that wasn't done well. So now with this ordinance, it's saying if you're going to come in and clean up a camp, then there needs to be posted notice mm -hmm. that within 21 days, after 21 days, this camp is going to be cleared. And so then one of the other subcommittees meets, and that's to line out that process. Like on day one, what happens? Day two, all the way through the 21-day process, who mm -hmm. are we contacting and who is who's who's serving what piece right. so that it's it's the same process i am on the third subcommittee which is more of the best practice long-term solutions and okay. so we're looking at okay so how are we going to eradicate homelessness in louisville and so we have talked about how we know we need more affordable housing mm -hmm. um but also in that having tough conversations so like for me right now i'm trying to find i've talked with the coalition and now i'm trying to contact hotels yeah because certainly with all the hotels that we have in louisville there are some that have empty rooms it is unbelievable how okay so the galt house mm -hmm. downtown like it's a fancy hotel mm -hmm. they have like two thousand rooms right and I'm like, there's no way at any point in time this hotel is full to the brim. There's right. no way. Mm -mm. There was a uh, some sort of future Farmers of America thing going mm -hmm. on where all these high schoolers were there. Mm -hmm. Still wasn't full. Mm -hmm. I knew it wasn't full. Mm -hmm. So I had asked the coalition, I'm like, okay, is there some way that you all could provide like a tax receipt and consider it like if they donate a room so that we mm -hmm. can get a family in a safe space? Mm -hmm. Because I encountered a lady who had children and they were old enough they were in school and it was not a white flag night and they had nowhere to go and so I said okay so I talked to the common assessment team they're the ones that do this assessment to see how vulnerable they are so they can get them into housing so it's mm -hmm. kind of like you know, a rated system yeah. but so and talking to him he was like well they can go sit in the lobby of Wayside mm -hmm. for the night and I was like, to me, that was not an acceptable answer. Like, there are four children that need to be able to get sleep because they have school tomorrow. So like, they can't just be sitting up in a lobby for the night. What What the people heard you ask was, hey, where's a roof? Mm -hmm. And they were like, oh, this lobby has a roof. Right. Exactly. And I was like, to me, that wasn't acceptable. No, so, it's not. Yeah. So then what I did in turn was... I bought a hotel room for a week for them to stay, not through up, but just on my own. Because just to, to yeah. me, that was not that wasn't an acceptable solution. So mm -hmm. now, what I'm trying to do is form more of and understand how a partnership can work between either the churches or the hotel systems, mm -hmm. and how we can provide a safe space for these individuals to be because mm -hmm. they are children and they do need to be able to sleep and they do deserve safety. I mean, everyone deserves that, and yeah. unfortunately. We just don't have the capacity right now to do that. And so, like I said, I just think there are a lot of resources. And so that's a big part of what this task force is about is that, you know, there are a lot of different agencies that are dealing and addressing this problem, but mm -hmm. they're maybe not all communicating properly. And do you ever, how do we do that? Do you ever think that like those agencies and, and maybe our government and whatever task force are put on are, are spreading themselves too thin to try to, they're, they're not prioritizing the right things at the right time, maybe? Um, it's possible. I mean, I know that... 
I will say that there are some agencies. I should say some agencies that I know of that just I don't understand their practices. Yeah. Um, so, for example, like I recently learned, there's a agency that they have a recovery program, mm-hmm. which is great, but. If you're entering the recovery program, you're not allowed to bring your children because they say that that deters from that that distracts them and they can't focus on their recovery. How can which, children be a distraction? I feel like that's motivation. I know it's like that's motivation. Also, it's like totally. you have a family. Let's totally. get it together. Totally. So it should be motivating. And the other piece for me is that's not sustainable because yeah. when they leave that program, they're going to be with their children and they're not learning how to be sober and parent at the same time. Right. So to me, that doesn't seem sustainable and it just doesn't seem like best practice. Yeah. And so I've kind of been posing the question, like there seems to be these agencies and I'm not understanding, you know, the way they practice and why isn't this being brought to light? Yeah. But they are a huge resource in the community for the homeless individuals and operate large shelter. And so it's like, if that piece crumbles, then we have even more individuals who are out. There's not a ghost in my house, by the way, that's just the door for anybody else that hears that, (laughs) that violent wind blowing. It's literally the door in my room. Thought I'd just address that real quick because it sounds like Casper's (laughs) booing you right now. (laughs) I mean, I think that there is that piece. Um, Mm -hmm. I definitely think that agencies are kind of spread thin just because of, I mean, most caseworkers you talk to or any CPS worker that Mm -hmm. you talk to is they're very, you know, it is very um, spread thin. So Mm -hmm. I think that especially in the nonprofit sector, that's why they were so excited that there was another resource that was coming. Mm -hmm. Um, Because we kind of pose that question when it comes to funding. Like, we know there's limited funding. Is it going to be... Yeah. Are we going to get some pushback because we're going to be trying to, you know, take from the pot as well. But, right, right. Um, I mean, unfortunately, that's just the reality of the nonprofit world is that funding is always on the decline or, you know, yeah. that's always a kind of spotty issue. You may get funding this year, but you may not next year. Um, I will say it was encouraging to learn through the Center for Nonprofit Excellence that 90% of mm-hmm. nonprofits are funded through individual donors. So even cool. though you get big grants, I mean, really, it is people like you and I who are really, you know, yeah. sustaining nonprofits. So that what determines time. with the grants whether or not you get funding in the next year? So um, there is this process of filling out a grant. Um, mm-hmm. So and normally in that is, you know, they'll ask for pieces like your budget, who's on your board of directors, <clears throat> um, you know, are you in good standing with metro government, with the Kentucky State, um, that kind of thing. But really, it is what are their goals and objectives and what are they Mm -hmm. trying to address and how are you fitting into that piece? And so you kind of have to think of it almost like a paper that like you want to address the concerns that Mm -hmm. they are wanting to address. And you need to give as great of an argument as you can for your agency and why they should fund you. So you have to show the government why you're so important. Pretty much. As opposed to the next person. I will say, yes. So I will say that we applied for two grants through HUD. So that is like government funding. Mm -hmm. But it is Metro who handles like the actual process. Okay. So um, so normally it once you submit that application, if you've completed it properly, because that's one of the... 
if you haven't completed it properly, then you're automatically just thrown, you know, it's thrown out. But um, mm. then the next piece is they have a panel and that panel will review them and then they'll kind of score them and then they decide who's going to have the funding. You get scored on how you important do. it is to yes. help homeless people. That's mm -hmm. nice. That's yeah. So unfortunately, like I said, there is never enough to go around. Um, but I will say that like we've done a few different events. They have Stand Down, which is like a one-day resource fair mm -hmm. um, that they hold at the Salvation Army. I think we did that in like October. Um, mm -hmm. And so we just got on next door and asked, you know, asked the neighbors like, hey, this is what we're doing. And these are the items we're trying to collect. You know, yeah. would you be interested? And we received a ton of supplies. And we served over 100 women and children that day just with pads and tampons and hygiene wipes and diapers yeah. and you know, shampoo, that yeah. kind of thing. So, um, people I think are very eager to help and want to help. And sometimes mm -hmm. it's just a matter of, you know, when you go through and you clean out your bathroom and you find that you've got like 13 bottles of half used shampoo that you don't really need anymore. Yeah. Um, you know, how, what do, what do I have and how can I give it? Yeah. So, um, that's one of the pieces for us and trying to figure out with different agencies. Mm -hmm. um, another way for us to be more sustainable is how can we offer services that are maybe being paid for by another agency? Yeah. So, um, for example, Volunteers of America, they do HIV testing and they do outreach. So, like, we can schedule someone to come in and offer that service. Okay. Um, I recently met with a lady from Passport. She was awesome, and she, um, you know, explained to me that they can come in and they can have people help sign up people for Passport. They can provide information on what Passport offers, mm -hmm. um, and that they also have like a like an app that they use that kind of lists different resources, so that they can even come in and help us as we're getting started and helping people identify resources that they can be utilizing. Yeah. So um, for us, that's a big piece of what we want to do. So. Um, you know, case management is a big piece of it, but we also want to be offering like life skills and support groups because yeah. for these women, you know, a lot of times just knowing that you're not in this alone, that there are other women who are going through the same thing can be yeah. very empowering. And so, um, just being able to build community and support because mm -hmm. unfortunately most people who end up homeless have exhausted all of their supports yeah. trying to prevent their homelessness. And right. so once they're homeless, it's like they literally have nothing. Yeah. And so, um, as you and I know, like family support is huge yeah. and I mean, can really make a difference from, you know, having a roof over your head or food in your stomach. So, yeah. um, for some people, unfortunately they just don't have that resource. And so, um, we're hoping to just, you know, be a safe space and to provide some of even the most basic needs and then help, help them access the resources that they need so they can be self-sufficient. Okay, cool. Well, I want to ask you about about yourself in particular. Mm -hmm. um, you know your life experiences and everything, and your your upbringing. What um, what did you go through, or what about you has given you such a heart for this? Uh, good question. Um, I don't really know. Um, like I said, for me, I think that I just have always kind of had a tender heart and mm -hmm. have always enjoyed helping someone um, in any capacity, really. Um, I've always enjoyed volunteering. Um, so even though I had children or I was in school and I wasn't really working, mm -hmm. um, I would always volunteer somewhere, whether that was through the library or I volunteered with girls on the run. That was really fun. Yeah. Um, so I guess that's just kind of who I am. I've just yeah. always enjoyed, um, 
I've enjoyed helping people, and I feel that for me, and like I said, the house I grew up in, not that it was a bad house, but there was this deserving versus undeserving, and for me, I don't know how I became so unjudgmental. Yeah. So, um, I guess for me, it's just like, the more I talk to people, I realize that I don't have the right to judge anyone because I don't know the homes that they grew up in or the life that they live or why they are that way. Yeah. And so for me, it's just really coming from a place of trying to be, um, compassionate and loving and Mm -hmm. kind. And so a lot of times I think that gets me pretty far in life. Yeah. (laughs) Um, and just kind of, uh, you know, just my personality of being more on the upbeat side of things. So sometimes just having a smiling face and knowing that someone is in your corner. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think for me, I just, I've always enjoyed that and it's, it kind of gives me an adrenaline rush whenever I'm able to help somebody. And so, um, I just, I kind of crave that and want to do that as much as I can. And I think that because I'm fortunate, I grew up in like a middle-class family. And then when I got married, my husband's a physician. So Mm -hmm. we're more on the upper class side of things. And I just, I feel very fortunate that I have Mm -hmm. so much and that as long as I can, I will continue to give Mm-hmm. as much as I can nice. um, just because I'm fortunate to, to do so yeah mm-hmm. to those who have been given much much will be asked of mm-hmm. but that's really cool um, for the audience that's listening um, if they want to help volunteer donate any of that do you have a website or anything we do so that was another thing that we had to <laughs> to get going during this process so yeah. there's marketing materials there's websites so yes so we are at www.up louisville.org and so um you can learn more about us and who we are and what we do um but we also do have like a volunteer page Mm -hmm. and we have a donate page um so yes right now we're in need of money (laughs) because we need to get this off the ground and so um i'll leave that website in the description of the video as well so um yeah so for us having funding just because um you know we're considering kind of starting a no child sleeps outside campaign to where if we can kind of specifically raise money that we could use for like hotel vouchers for people so that people who are in situations and have no safe place to be have a safe place to be. Um, But, you know, other things just like helping people obtain their ID or their birth certificate so they can get to the next step, you know, Um, that's huge. Um, And for us, you know, we're just getting started. And so we need to have money to pay for our rent and our liability insurance and our utilities and that kind of thing. So, um, Financial contributions are great, but we also will need a lot of volunteers. Um, mm-hmm. And so we can, we anyone who wants to come volunteer, we will use. Um, okay. We're working on background checks right now and where to um, where to obtain those because mm-hmm. especially since we'll have children at our agency, we want to make sure that everyone's safe and we do background checks. Right, right. Um, but, I mean, you know, if there's an older lady who maybe can't stand very long, needs to sit, or someone says, you know, well, I can't really lift anything. I mean, if someone wants to come in and play cards with the ladies or offer like a sewing class mm-hmm. or, you know, anything, um, we can really use volunteers at all capacity. So, and get some uh, schools to do some service projects. Absolutely. So um, we know that like if we talk to the nursing students, they can come in and offer some things. Um, social nice. work students can come and offer services. So yeah, um, we're linking those pieces, but yes, we'll definitely need some more manpower and definitely just like friendly faces, someone who can, you know, come in and provide some, some yeah. warmth and, and a nice smile. That's nice. <laughs> That's nice. Um, 
is there anything for the audience that I guess you would want to spread awareness for in particular about this that that most people might not know? So like, um, for instance, I told you that statistic earlier about for every homeless person, there's six empty houses. Mm-hmm. Usually, usually what we just hear is there's a lot of homeless people mm-hmm. or something like that. Or right. children are sleeping outside, mm-hmm. which, by the way, is just an, un, an unnatural thing mm-hmm. to, to really hear. But is is there anything as like someone in your profession that just as a statistic or something that you've learned that just blows you away every time you hear it that you would mm-hmm. want the audience to know about? Mm-hmm. I'm trying to remember the statistic um, because I learned that at least, at least half, of the people who are sleeping in shelter mm-hmm. work. So I think there's this big misconception that, you know, they're just... That everyone's just kind of wandering around. Right, they're just yeah. wandering around. But a majority of them work. Um, and that there are um, great props to the Salvation Army because they are one of the only shelters that I know of mm-hmm. that will allow people who work third shift... So that's sometimes a big barrier for people is that, yeah. you know, they work night shift. Where can they go and sleep during the day? So yeah. Salvation Army is one of those places that will allow people who work third shift, you know, they'll coordinate with you to figure out what your work schedule is and let you come in and sleep during the day. But I was surprised to learn that at least half, and I feel that it's even more, and uh, um, that they're working, but they still just aren't able to provide yeah. enough, you know, for a home. So um, I would encourage people to... Um, to support the Affordable Housing Trust because we really do need more affordable housing in Louisville. Um, Unfortunately, Louisville did pass to increase the minimum wage, but then the state Mm -hmm. came back and said, well, you can't do that. So, I mean, as as a city, we have tried to make strides on the living wage, but Mm -hmm. unfortunately there was a barrier there. But um, I think that just to have more of an understanding that with this population, it's usually for women, it's they're fleeing some kind of domestic situation or they, yeah. you know, that they're leaving because the home that they were in was not a safe space for them. Mm-hmm. That's a lot of times for women. Um, and just that with this population, you know, there is a lot of mental health, a lot of substance abuse. And I know it's easy for us to, to judge people for, you know, being addicted. Right. But I also don't understand how someone sleeps on the streets day after day without using because I mean to me that just that that's a struggle that I can't imagine it, it's not a situation that nobody enters into willingly exactly and exactly. It, you know judging somebody for for that can really just it only goes so far because I mean I know like I have a handful of friends that I personally know that that do use heroin mm-hmm. and I don't pass judgment on them because I know their background and their life situations mm-hmm. and it can vary mm-hmm. from one thing to another. But to honestly, like our, their, you know, the heroin outbreak mm-hmm. in Kentucky is massive mm-hmm. and it is, I mean, just like all over the country, it's a mental health issue. Mm-hmm. I, uh, I made a video the other day and I was talking about, I was talking about guns because mm-hmm. of the parkland shooting in Florida mm-hmm. Everyone is trying to talk about, you know, how we regulate guns or how do we with the gun laws or the or the drug laws or heroin. I'm sitting there, I'm like, listen, we keep blaming things on these inanimate objects. Mm-hmm. Like if I if I had a bag of cocaine and I like put it on this table, not in a hundred million years is that cocaine gonna get up and jump into my nose. Right. You know, like mm-hmm. to be 
you know, to be blatantly clear. Mm-hmm. Same thing for heroin. Same thing for an, uh, for a gun. Mm-hmm. If I put this gun on the table, it's not going to. If I surround myself with guns all over this room. Mm-hmm. It's not going, I'm not at any point ever going to just grab one if I'm a mentally sane human being and use it violently. Right. Like this kid that took all these lives, in my mind, they talked about how he had made comments on YouTube videos on how he wanted to be a professional school shooter, just saying these vulgar things. Mm-hmm. And, it, and nobody, not, a, not his parents, not the school, not the teachers, mm-hmm. no psychiatrist, not, not even the FBI who monitors things like that on the internet. Mm-hmm. Nobody paid attention. Mm-hmm. And everyone's like, it's the guns. And I'm like, no, it's <laughs> our mental health. Right, that's a big This question. country suffers so much from mental health issues, and that mm-hmm. what's put that's what endangers our children. That's what puts people on the streets. Mm-hmm. And the second we we stop, you know, talking about how dangerous the inanimate object is, and we start catering more to the mental health of people and because the stigma. <laughs> the stigma. I mean, this is a mm-hmm. stressful place. Life mm-hmm. is becoming more and more stressful. Mm-hmm. Period. I mean, just it, it was just more stressful than it was in the fifties, mm-hmm. and that's the truth. And so, you know, you wonder why like other countries are like patenting down these things. Like, I think uh, I think it was like Norway or Sweden that made heroin legal. Mm-hmm. They regulated it. Right. They taxed. I mean, they did whatever they had to, but they made it legal. Mm-hmm. And it's, I mean, they're eradicating it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I'm sitting there, I'm like, there's a lot of things that contribute to homelessness. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of things that contribute to to a lot of the problems. But Mm -hmm. I believe that it starts with with the health of the American citizens. And um, I mean, that's definitely something that you guys are contributing to with Mm -hmm. the rehabilitation of these people, giving them opportunity to rebuild their lives in a positive way, Mm -hmm. which is very admirable. But, um, yeah. I will say, um, when you mentioned other countries, one of the things that, um, I don't know if a lot of people know about, and I learned about it through my internship, mm-hmm. is the housing first model. And that's how a lot of other countries have used to address homelessness. And mm-hmm. it's brilliant, really. Um, it's just finding the affordable place to put individuals. But the housing first model is different from an abstinence based model. So some programs operate where you have to get sober first before they'll place you into housing. Okay. Housing First says you give them a home first. You address the most basic need first. And then when they're safe and in their own place, Mm -hmm. then you can start to address through case management, substance abuse, mental health, and all those other things. But until you give them that safe space to be, Mm -hmm. it's near impossible to get someone to focus on their substance abuse whenever they're so worried about, like, where am I going to sleep for the night? Or, you know, who's going to mess with me while I'm sleeping? Like, those kinds of things happen. So um, housing first is great, and it's also cost effective because if you look at the cost that goes into our our policing, our emergency rooms, just the different resources that they are utilizing, yeah. it, the cost benefit is astounding because you can spend like a third of the money that you would by then being homeless by putting them into housing, by providing housing and some case management services. And 90 to 95% of those individuals who end up housed through a housing first model retain mm-hmm. their housing. So, I mean, it really is a matter of just meeting the client where they are and saying, hey, you are a human and you deserve a safe space to be. 
For sure. What are, what countries are putting this into practice that you know of? So, um, recently I looked at Denmark. A lot of the European countries already do it. Um, Denmark always has their act together. They do. <laughs> they, do. Things. they do. Um, Amsterdam, I think, is another one. Um, I saw I, this, actually, so we do practice housing first here. Um, it started in Colorado. Um, okay. So, um, some of the western states have put this into practice but i mean it really is a great yeah. concept and i mean the fact that the cost benefit is there i mean we really do save more money by putting people into housing and yeah. providing them the support they need versus trying to push them into recovery yeah. and saying okay if you can prove to us that you can stay sober then we'll go ahead and give you a place to live it's like it's just like it's not how really it works work like that yeah so um it's like people need shelter to survive they don't need drugs Maslow's to survive basic Needs. It's I like mean, let's make sure you live, mm -hmm. and then we let's take the stress off of that first. Yeah, and then you know maybe if we if we get rid of some of that stress, maybe that'll help with the mental health, and that might help with the substance abuse. So yeah. I mean that um, I would encourage people that you know to uh, definitely learn about the housing first, and at the very least to support it because it really oh, for is sure. effective. <laughs> it's uh, like you know we focus on helping people survive and then we teach them how to thrive. Totally. That would be that'd be a good catchphrase for the go. housing person. <laughs> good thing we got that down. Oh yeah, for sure. But um wow, that's all this information is very fascinating and uh I hope that, you know, anyone who hears this podcast uh is able to uh, support you in any way possible. Um is there anything else that, you know, you want to get out there or no I mean we're excited um it's a little terrifying you know because like I said it's Amy and I but um we're just really excited to to fill this need in the community yeah. and just the support that we've received and so it has been a very empowering journey yeah. and we are looking forward to opening our doors and serving more women yeah and children that's fantastic cool well, I'm going to say a couple things real quick for the audience um if you guys want to support um, in any way, if you want to volunteer your time or donate, I'm going to leave uh, in Andrea's website in the description. Um, I encourage everyone to, you know, give some of their time or effort towards this cause. Um, it's a huge need that needs to be filled, and uh, there's a lot of potential with it. Um, I'm very excited to see the turnout. Um, also, again, uh, like last episode, I'm going to bribe everybody uh, for the first hundred individuals to. Uh, share this podcast and this video uh, on Facebook. I'm going to have a $25 Starbucks gift card for those people. Yeah, I'm bribing them. <laughs> so. No, that's good. Incentives. <laughs> we like to call that incentives. Incentives, right. Incentives. This is, uh, this is an incentive. But um, besides that, uh, thank you guys again for listening. Andrea, thank you so much for being on thank the show. Thank you for having me. I look forward to seeing what happens in the future for you guys. And uh, I'll definitely want to have you on again, maybe this time next year, when we talk great. about everything that's been going on. Yeah, that'd be great. But uh, all right, well... We're just going to end it right there, signing off. Thank you guys for listening. Hmm.